Welcome to Red Pill Revolution. My name is Austin Adams. Red Pill Revolution started out with me realizing everything that I knew, everything that I believed, everything I interpret about my life is through the lens of the information I was spoon-fed as a child. Religion, politics, history, conspiracies, Hollywood, medicine, money, food, all of it. Everything we know was tactfully written to influence your decisions and your view on reality by those in power. Now, I'm on a mission. A mission to retrain and re-educate myself to find the true reality of what is behind that curtain. And I'm taking your ass with me. Welcome to the revolution. Hello and welcome to Red Pill Revolution. My name is Austin Adams. Thank you so much for listening today. I'm very, very glad you are here. This is episode number 26 of the Red Pill Revolution podcast. And we have had some really interesting things go on in the last week or so. Uh, so we're just going to jump right into it. I really don't know what else to do here, but just really just jump into these really interesting topics. So the things that we're going to discuss today are as follows. We're going to go into a conversation about the blood, uh, the, the blood lust of Megan Fox and Machine Gun Kelly. If you haven't seen that clip yet, it's very ominous, very creepy of Megan Fox discussing the way that her and Machine Gun Kelly basically drink each other's blood. <gasps> no, that's a conspiracy. We don't talk about those things. They're not real. You can't say that. But I can. Because she did. <laughs> so we're going to talk about that. The next thing we're going to discuss is going to be the Veterans Administration uh, sending medical staff from the VA down to the southern border now that this act has been uh, or is being repealed and we're going to have this flood of migrants coming into our country. They're now sending the help that is normally for our soldiers down to the border. So we're going to discuss that. We're also going to discuss the <laughs> the sheer uh, hypocrisy that has been involved in the Twitter takeover of Sir Elon Musk. <laughs> I think that's his new name, Sir Elon Musk. So we're going to talk about that. If The last podcast, last week that we discussed, we didn't know yet that this had happened. It had not happened yet. So Elon Musk, if you did not know, has taken over Twitter. He is now the largest shareholder and uh, will effectively be running the company, which is incredible from a freedom of speech standpoint, but also quite weird from the standpoint of somebody who questions everything and has a few questions about Elon Musk at this point. Now, I've been an Elon Musk fanboy until this point, and I had some of you guys, some of the commenters, uh, raise some questions here regarding the trustworthiness of Elon Musk from last week's clip where I talked about Elon Musk being the Iron Man <laughs> of the real world um, or of this reality, because somewhere in a different reality, there might actually be an Iron Man. But of this this world, it's about the closest thing we get is Elon Musk. And I discussed that, and, and a lot of people chimed in and said, maybe he's not the hero that I think he is. And in fact, even worse, maybe Elon Musk is the villain. So we're going to discuss that today in some of the comments from people, some of the conversations, uh, and, and some of the uh, weirder things that have gone on um, 
in Elon Musk's history. So we're going to discuss that. We're also going to look at the uh, White House looking at repealing Section 230. And Section 230 is basically a way for them to, now that they're so scared about Elon Musk having Twitter, for them to essentially bypass it and take it to the government level where they can control speech now from the back end. Um, now that Elon Musk has come out and said that you know he's going to follow the legality of it, not the whims of the extreme left. So we're going to discuss those things. We also have a few other topics we're going to discuss, including um, Google launching a new woke writing function, which is touting inclusive language. Basically, they're going to rec- uh, they're going to put a notification in front of you if you're not using the right pronouns in your in your middle school uh, speech or your middle school document that you're writing for school, they're now going to push their woke ideology through words, through through a word document, you know, literally your thoughts, and, and they're trying to shape them. So a lot of things on the horizon today, those are just some of them. Um, and then the last one is going to be uh, the DHS basically testifying that it's creating a disinformation governance board on the backs of the Department of Homeland Security, putting out a statement surrounding calling people terrorists who disagree or or so dissent in the government. They're now coming up with a disinformation governance board, specifically on the backs of Elon Musk securing the Twitter deal. So, Wow, that's going to be a lot. We'll see. This might, this might take all day, <laughs> but we'll get we'll get it all in there. We'll discuss it all, and uh, some of it you might catch on the Patreon. So the first thing I need you to do before we discuss some of these topics is go ahead and click that subscribe button. I know you want to. It's right there. I know. I know you might have heard this, and you might already be subscribed, and if you are, I appreciate you more than you could ever know. But if you are listening to this and you're not subscribed, go ahead. Right now, it's, it's, it's good for you, it's good for me, it's good for the universe, it's good for spreading the truth, now that we actually have places to do so, um, go ahead and click that subscribe button, leave a five-star review, I know there's some of you who are subscribed and I appreciate it more than you know, but the next step that you can take for me is just leaving a five-star review and uh, maybe writing a nice little comment in there about you know whatever it is that you appreciate about this podcast. Um, it would mean the world to me and it would be a good karma for you and all it takes is two seconds. Two seconds, little tippity-tap. Go ahead and do it. Um, next thing is the Substack. Go ahead and subscribe, substack.com, um, redpillrevolution.substack.com actually. Um, and you'll get the podcast companion, which we're back on track with following this week. So excited to get that back that out, uh, get that back out to you guys. Uh, Redpillrevolution.substack.com, and then the Patreon five dollars gets you bonus content, gets you access to the Discord server, gives you the entire video podcast, uh, and you can get that at Patreon.com/slash/RedPillRevolt. That's all I got. Let's go ahead and jump into the very first clip that I have for you today, which is going to be around Megan Fox. Basically, just outwardly discussing, I don't know if she got the memo that you're not supposed to do this, (laughs) but Megan Fox came out and said that her and Machine Gun Kelly drink each other's blood. Could you imagine a celebrity? A celebrity in Hollywood, nonetheless, drinking the blood of another human individual for pleasure? No, we're not allowed to do that. And if you do, you definitely can't talk about it. But here Megan Fox is talking about the fact that her and Machine Gun Kelly drink each other's blood, which is in the conspiracy world, uh, not, not something you're able to discuss on these mainstream medias. But apparently if you are Megan Fox, you can do so. So here it is, Megan Fox discussing this. It's just a few drops. But yes, we do consume each other's blood on occasion for ritual purposes. No. 
only. <laughs> it is used for a reason and it is controlled where it's like, let's shed a few drops of blood and each drink it. He's much more haphazard and hectic and chaotic where he's willing to just like cut his chest open with broken glass and be like, take my soul. Let me bleed on you. <laughs> it doesn't not happen, let me tell you. Maybe not exactly like that, but it a version of that has happened uh, many times. A version of that has happened a uh, many times as she laughs. You know, the version of that where he takes broken glass, cuts open his chest, and then like a demon. Like, if you see that video and you saw the way that she just went about that, she looked like a demon. He goes, let me drink your blood. Like, she was really weird there. Um, so, yeah, apparently that just happens very often, according to Megan Fox, that she's drinking the blood of Megan Megan, not Megan Kelly, Machine Gun Kelly. <laughs> but apparently they're on the train here of uh, add them to the list of celebrities that we actually know 100% are drinking the blood of other humans. And this time, maybe we can even discuss this without getting, you know, thrown into a, uh, a, a shadowy box of the worst things you could possibly say and then being shadow banned into oblivion. But if you do get shadow banned, apparently you just go to Twitter now and that's going to be the way to go. But at this point, it's really interesting, right? The adrenochrome conversation. I, th I think that's one that is very, uh, been a hot topic in the depths of the conspiracy world uh, for a while. And, and it really hasn't had too many mainstream conversations like this one that bring it up. Now, it doesn't seem to me, is this seems more of like a satanic ritualistic, uh, which not to say that the adrenochrome situation isn't involved in that, but th this seems like a weird, like, uh, I don't know. It doesn't seem like that to me. It doesn't seem like you're drinking the blood of your spouse for the adrenochrome because then you would, you know, the, the whole idea. If you haven't heard of the adrenochrome conspiracy, here's how it goes. The idea is basically that if you go back long enough in history, you'll see that there's a bunch of our ancestors and especially the specifically ones in power who along the, the lines have had dropped seeds, basically, that they drink the blood of individuals who are in extreme amounts of stress because when your body's in an extreme amount of stress, it produces this chemical uh, adrenaline and, and subsequently this also chemical called adrenochrome, which flows through your bloodstream. And then celebrities and the elite, elite and the famous people of the world basically drink that to get high. And if you look back far enough, you look back towards the royal bloodline. Um, and if you're deep into the conspiracy world, you already know a little bit about that. But the idea is that if you go back into the royal bloodline, the bloodline of the British elite, the, the, the royal family, and you look far back enough, you'll see that there's somebody called Vlad the Impaler. And Vlad the Impaler is, is a unique individual, and a unique individual because he feasts off of the blood of his enemies. And he doesn't just do it for the taste. He, do, he does it in a way that he puts them in the most extreme amounts of pain possible. Uh, and, and he used to have people that would sit around a, a long, there's, there's actual paintings during the time where Vlad the Impaler was sitting at a table around all of these dead bodies and, and consuming the blood of his enemies in front of his own like clergy in his own, you know, higher up military individuals. And, and there's stories and poems about this that we know from back during that time 
And so we know factually, historically, there are people who have drank the blood of other individuals uh, and put them into stressful situations to get high. And we know that that has started through the, the royal bloodline is where there's the more most consistent historical accounts of this, obviously, because those are where the conversations stick around for a while. But we know that historically, it's Vlad the Impaler was a very famous individual, a part of the royal bloodline, who then passed his ways down is where the conspiracy goes that that this came from even before him but the royal family ever since who is tied into this we, we know this from prince harry who or not prince harry prince andrew i'm sorry who came out and said that he specifically was related to vlad the impaler once they did a dna check so we know historically and factually that there is parts of the royal bloodline the royal family that has historically and factually drank the blood of people, and incited the most uh, horrific uh, events towards these people before they drink the blood, specifically to get this adrenochrome, okay? So there, and that's passed down through generations and turned into this whole, you know, blackmail situation where people are doing it and they don't talk about it in Hollywood, and this is where the whole underground uh, child trafficking, and, and, and this is a real thing. If you go on the dark web right now, you can search adrenochrome and you can find this product being sold online right now. And the idea where children come into play with that is it's the most purest blood that you can get in this whole dark, crazy, I'm sorry that we went there so early into this podcast. <laughs> Maybe I should have put Megan Fox a little bit lower on the agenda here because we got deep really, really fast. <laughs> Anyways, so there is a little bit about the adrenochrome conspiracy. Now, where this comes into play and where I think this is interesting is I don't think this is that. This, is, this isn't them drinking, you know, just the way that she talked about it didn't seem like that. Because if this was that, they wouldn't be talking about it so frivolously. It would be a, a far darker, deeper conversation. Um, and she definitely wouldn't be coming out and speaking about it in an interview. So this seems to be some weird, you know, uh, hype, devil worship craziness. Now, obviously, it's tied into that in some way, shape or form. But I don't think it has to do with adrenochrome. But 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 this one is a weird weird conversation to see somebody just outwardly just like the, the way she just talked about it to me was was very uh, I guess kind of exactly how you would expect somebody to talk about it if they're actually drinking their spouse's blood for fun or whatever for ritual. So, anyways, let's move on to some lighter geopolitical topics. I guess not even geopolitical, but but more stateside on this one. The, the topic that we're going to be discussing next is the VA doctors are being sent down to the southern border on the backs of the uh, law being repealed that basically stopped a lot of the immigrants who were coming in um, from just flooding our gates. And now we know that they are literally flooding our gates. We've seen videos upon videos in on the border. Hundreds of thousands of people have crossed the border. I don't know if that's a factual number, but I'm, you know, sounds good. I'm pretty sure. I'm sure. I'm fairly positive. It's pretty close to that. <laughs> um, and so what's happening here is the VA is sending doctors down to the border that would normally be responsible for our veterans. That would normally be responsible for Purple Hearts with with legs missing or people with PTSD or whatever, you know, so many, so many individuals who are, are, are military veterans who lack care. And I know this because I am one of them. I, I have VA coverage and it is atrocious. It's atrocious when we're not sending a large amount of our doctors to the border to handle people who shouldn't even be coming over here, let alone getting free health care 
in lieu of the veterans who are needing it. So let's watch this video. It discusses a little bit. There's, a, I believe, a senator or a congresswoman who speaks up on this and, and grills one of the individuals here. So let's watch that and see what they have to say about it right now. Uh, yes or no answer. Is the, the Department of Homeland Security planning to reallocate resources, doctors and nurses from our VA system intended to care for our veterans to help care for illegal immigrants at our southern border? Congresswoman, um, let, me, let me be clear, because an interagency effort is precisely uh, what the challenge of migration requires, and it's not specific to 2022, nor 2021, nor 2020, or the years preceding. Right, but I'm just asking you a yes or no question. Oh. Are you planning on taking resources away from our veterans to help deal with the surge at our southern border? That's Con a yes or no question. Uh, actually, Congresswoman, um, the resources uh, that the medical personnel from the Veterans Administration would allocate to this effort is uh, under the judgment of the Secretary of Veterans Affairs, who prioritizes the interests of veterans above all others uh, for very noble and correct reasons. Do you know if you've, have you had any conversations about reallocating those resources? I, I have not uh, personally, but of course our teams, our personnel uh, have, and I'd be very pleased to, um, uh, to follow up uh, with you. Yeah. Our uh, veterans need to know that the care that they've earned is going to be provided to them and not uh, to those at our southern border. That is the other thing. So that's, that's what it is. Kind of just what I already talked about with you. She's she's arguing with him saying the fact that you guys are going to send physicians who are specifically allocated by our tax dollars, by the money that we spend from our hardworking citizens to go help illegal immigrants crossing the border because you made shitty policy decisions. What? How, how is that acceptable? How are we just going to, you know, like the fact that our politicians just, do, you, do they think things through? Do they, do they even realize how this looks? Like when you're taking doctors specifically who are supposed to be taking care of, what, how many doctors are out there that you could have paid money to go do this, but you have them on a shitty salary? That's why, that's why the VA care is so bad. The VA care is so bad because they pay the doctors who are just getting out of school. They pay their way through school so that, and then they put them on a contract. So they have to come work for the VA after they get out of school and they only get through school through the VA's money. So they get all of the shittiest doctors who went to the shittiest schools. No offense. If you're a VA doctor, I think what you're doing is great that you're helping veterans, but it doesn't change the fact that a lot of times the care is, is subpar and the care is subpar because the pay is subpar. And when you pay people less money, you generally get lower quality candidates. And so, the, and so they have these people on a really low salary. One that's already contractually obligated to f be fulfilled on their end. And they're, and they're manipulating the, the, the asset here of the doctors to send them directly to the border to bypass our veterans who are in need. How many, how many veterans are going to have extremely long? I mean, I, I remember when I was calling the VA to get a, a, a pretty serious, uh, look at, at, I had like, um, uh, I don't even remember exactly what it was, but it was a heart, uh, like a SVT was, was what it's called. And, and then basically what it is, is like, you're, you're, I, we were trying to figure out what it was. And, and, and so, but it was like 36 weeks or 36 days out, two months out. Whenever I called, it was like the most ridiculous times. And then they, they came out with this thing called the uh, veterans choice program, where if you were 30 days or more out 
from the time that you could get an appointment with the physician or specialist that you were looking for, that they would allow you to schedule an appointment at a local doctor's office. And as soon as I pulled that card with them, what's so funny is so I would, I would call them up and say, hey, I need an appointment to see a cardiologist. And they would say, okay, it's about uh, 42 days out. We'll go ahead and schedule the appointment with you right now. I said, okay, that's not going to work. I need it to be sooner than that. And they would say, well, I'm sorry, sir. We can't do any sooner than that. I would say, okay, well, if it's 42 days, that's outside of the 30 days. And I'd like to elect the Veterans Choice Program and go see a local doctor. And what, what they would do is they go, oh, well, I just found on, in 29 and a half days from now, <laughs> I, just, I just found this random appointment sitting here on my calendar, um, and you can get seen 29 and a half days from now. And so they would find a way to basically push people off as far as they could until they elected the choice program, and then they were directed specifically to find an appointment <laughs> for you within the 30-day time frame so that you wouldn't be able to elect choice. Um, so... All in that to say that what they're doing here is wrong because the, the waiting times are already crazy at the VA. They're already ridiculous. Like 30, 40 days out, if you have something that you believe was a heart attack, that's very concerning. And I'm a young, healthy individual, right? Nothing wrong with me as far as I'm concerned and according to the VA because they never saw anything or took care of it. So to me, it's like if, if, that's, if that's happening to me, how concerned would I be if I was 72 years old, 78 years old with these issues from World War II or, you know, from Vietnam, I guess, you wouldn't be 70 if you were in World War II. Um, but if you were in Vietnam and, and you're a war veteran and you have all of these issues and now you get pushed out 15, 20, 30 more days because they're sending your doctor who you fought for the country for, they're sending your doctor now to the border. To, to take care of people who don't even have United States citizenship, let alone who should be the most respected individuals in the United States as combat veterans, especially disabled combat veterans who have the scars of, of, of our nation's war decisions on their backs. And, and to take that and, and give those allocated assets, those doctors help to somebody who is not even a part of our country. How does that make any sense? How does that make any sense? It, it, it's got to, it's so frustrating to me to know that the way that they're, it's literally just virtue signaling, right? And, and I don't even know if this is virtue signaling. I, I don't know what to call this, but to me, it just, it makes no sense. It's frustrating from a veteran's perspective. It's frustrating from a United States citizen perspective um, to know that they're just, you know, bypassing the people who deserve the care the most to give it to people who are not even a part of our country. Makes no sense. No sense at all. So speaking about weird governmental hypocrisy, let's go ahead and watch this video. So if you didn't know, Elon Musk bought Twitter. <laughs> Elon Musk bought Twitter for $44 billion. And now Twitter, the left, the mainstream media are all freaking the fuck out about it. They have no idea what to do. <laughs> They're so, so scared of people being able to say things that they don't like. And they are freaking out about it to the point where they're so blinded by their hate that they don't even see their own hypocrisy, which we'll see here, which is a, a news anchor from MSNBC uh, discussing what he believes to be Elon Musk's uh, the downfall of our society based on 
based on the information that of Elon Musk being able to censor people at his will, like a you know dictator, according to this man. So let's see how ridiculous this is. Because if you haven't seen this clip yet, it, it's it, it, you have to be so blinded to not real. Like it almost seems like satire. <laughs> it almost seems like a joke that this man cannot even see himself in the mirror saying these things and realize how just how ridiculous it really is. So let's go ahead and we'll watch that now. The point is, people who work with this stuff, they understand how important this is. I'm not telling you you need a Twitter account. I'm not telling you you have to jump in the ocean to study whether the ocean levels are rising. I'm just telling you this thing matters a ton. The world's richest person who is very good at accumulating wealth and power thinks this is worth spending tens of billions of dollars on because, frankly, he thinks it's that valuable and he thinks it may help him. Trump, by the way, today is claiming he won't even return to Twitter if the ban were lifted, but few take what Donald Trump says seriously on that score. So what is happening here? This is far bigger than Trump or Elon Musk. They are symptoms of the world we're living in, where technology has outpaced any of our ability to deal with it. That's true whether you're a parent trying to figure out what you can and can't let your kids do at various ages. It's true if you are a democracy like the United States that used to regulate media ownership and say Rupert Murdoch can't have too many local TV stations and newspapers in one town. They have laws for that that are still in the books, but the Congress hasn't gotten around to limiting whether someone can own all of Twitter. And as we discussed in one of our special reports just last week, if you own all of Twitter or Facebook or what have you, you don't have to explain yourself. You don't even have to be transparent. You could secretly ban one party's candidate or all of its candidates, all of its nominees, or you could just secretly turn down the reach of their stuff and turn up the reach of something else. And the rest of us might not even find out about it till after the election. Elon Musk says this is all to help people because he is just a free speech, philosophically clear, open-minded helper, a world helper, if you will. Is that true? Should you take him at his word? Should you care about this, whether you have a Twitter account or not? This is important. This is important stuff. <laughs> this is important stuff to know if, you know, it's just so funny because if you would have played that four months ago, three months, two weeks ago, it would have sounded like a Tucker Carlson bit. Like it would have it would have sounded like a, a alt-right media silence talking conspiracy talking point like this man is a tinfoil hat wearing conspiracy theorist forever even taking the idea that elon musk or the leader of twitter or any social media company for that matter would ever alter the outcome of an election <gasps> this man needs to be banned this man needs to be silenced he can't be allowed to go around saying these things we should take away any platform that he has completely. Get him away from, from the ears of the, of the peasants who might be able to hear these, these f small fringe minority of ideas. <laughs> you literally, you, you can't listen to that and just go, does this man hear himself? Does this, does this guy really not see what he's doing? Like, you literally just outlined every problem. You outlined the entire reason he spent this money. You just really gave us the whole talking point of the right, of the conservative, of the free speech absolutionists, like Elon Musk refers to himself, which he was about to call him, but it sounded too positive. So he, he said philosophical whatever, 
You know, it, it, it's so funny to me that this man had zero, zero self-awareness to know that he was literally describing the entire reason that Musk bought Twitter to begin with. You can turn the knob and silence people who disagree with you. You can you can eliminate people of the entire party. You know, like the sitting fucking president of the United States that got his Twitter platform taken from him. The sitting president of the United States was eliminated from a social media platform. And this dumbass has the balls to sit in front of us and contemplate the the potential idea that somebody else could do the same to him on his side i, I don't have words for the stupidity of this man i i can't even imagine it's sitting in a room with this guy while he's saying these things and not just like busting out laughing and and just be like do you fucking hear yourself man do you hear the words that are coming out of your mouth because you're literally describing every problem that everybody on the entire side of the, the political spectrum that you disagree with has outlined for years, literally have been the victims of this, have been silenced, literally sitting here in front of you right now. I have no platform with 50,000 legitimate organically built followers stripped away from me because I posted a Senate hearing, a Senate hearing that they didn't like, that didn't follow their narrative about the bio labs. Literally right here, right now, and this man's going to gonna try and have hypotheticals about the potential of his side being affected by this? Well, maybe you shouldn't have implemented this on your side to begin with. Maybe if you weren't stopping the sitting president from speaking out on the social media platform during his presidency, all while you let the, the leader of Al-Qaeda on there, all while you let the boogeyman Putin himself still have a Twitter today with the Kremlin, all the while, you eliminated our sitting president from having a voice on one of the biggest social platforms in the world. And now you're scared of the repercussions. That's what it is. You got your way for so long. All those right-wingers, all those conspiracy theorists that you got silenced in the name of your truth. Now, it's coming for you. Now, you have to worry about being silenced, and you're scared. You're scared because you know the monster that you built. You know that you built, a, you built this entire platform on a tower of lies, on, on, a, on the silencing of any dissent, on, on, the, on, the, the, on the banning of, of anybody who disagrees with you. And you now are going to see the repercussions of that, and you're scared of it. That's what he's saying here, because he knows this is how it's been. He's not. He's he's sitting in front of us speaking on a TV. He can't be dumb. <laughs> yeah, he might be, for sure. But he he knows he's scared because now this is the problem when you silence speech. This is the problem, especially when you have a democracy, is that every four years, the democracy changes. Every four years, there's a new leader. Every four years, something is going to shift. And if you silence enough people on the other side, the pendulum always swings back. And eventually, it's going to come for you. And he's scared. And he should be. Because there should be that thought 
in the back of his mind. All these extreme left-wing ideologies, right? And there are <clears throat> literally very extreme left-wing ideologies, far worse than, than the, the, what are the right-wing ideologies that are scary? What? Freedom of, of uh, speech, uh, freedom to right to bear arms, uh, you know, don't talk to my children about sex in kindergarten, you know, maybe some things like that. Those are some really radical conservative ideas. They're scared and they don't know what to do. And so they're running around with their, uh, 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 they're like a chicken with their heads cut off because, because they have no idea the repercussions of what they have built. The silencing machine will come for you too, eventually, because you always have to agree. You always have to agree with whatever individual is at the helm. And you might not agree on everything. And the second you don't agree on one thing, the second you deviate from that line just a little bit, now you're the one being silenced. Now you're the one losing your platform. Hmm. So now we know the problem. They're scared. And they should be scared now that they have Project Veritas nice and close up on that ass finding out the truth. So we had a whistleblower from within Twitter sending an audio file to Project Veritas of their all-hands-on-deck meeting, which was a meeting where the CEO and some board members and the CMO and a few other people that don't matter, not that any of those people matter anyways, basically getting together and all whining and bitching and moaning together about the fact that they have to deal with Elon Musk buying out their company. <laughs> Could you like, I really wish the second that Mer like that went through, that deal went through, I wish I could have been a fly on the wall on Twitter. It must have just been like how many green haired they Z Zem Zers were just sobbing. <laughs> Like, it just must have been like every liberal, you know, libs of TikTok video combined in a single room. And, and it just would have been the most brilliant comedy to be able to watch this meltdown play out. It's I, I hope we get more of these videos. But here is the all hands on deck meeting. And this is specifically the CMO, the chief marketing officer of Twitter. Uh, speaking out on, on this topic specifically. So I actually have the full transcript. I, I pulled the video, wrote up the transcript for it. I'm going to include that as a uh, separate Substack this week for you guys. So go ahead and sign up right now, redpillrevolution.substack.com. You'll also get the Substack companion, which will have all the articles, all the videos, and that full transcript for you guys right on there. It'll also include the audio podcast. It'll also include the video podcast. So you can get it all right to your email every single week. And not have to worry about going into apps and finding stuff and all that whole deal. You can just get it right to your email inbox. Uh, so pretty awesome. Go ahead and sign up right now. Redpillrevolution.substack.com for the podcast companion as well as the full transcript of this Twitter meltdown meeting. Which I seem to enjoy reading a little bit more than I do listening to these things. Because the audio is not great as you'll see here. Um, but I hope you can, you know, it's not terrible. But, but you, can, you can still make everything out. But I think the transcript, you just get through it a lot faster. And it's a 45 minute meeting of them bitching and moaning. So maybe you don't want to hear that. <laughs> but, but you can skim it and, and get the gist probably a little bit easier. So let's go ahead and start this video now. How did the board and Mr. Musk 
plan on dealing with a mass exodus, considering the acquisition is by a person with questionable ethics. The question of attrition, um, you know, as Parag stated, you know, uh, one of the themes of today is continuity um, and ensuring that Parag and this leadership team continues to operate the business successfully on behalf of our users, on behalf of our customers. Um, and that has obviously been a big topic of discussion at the board. And as I mentioned, an area that uh, is important to Elon Musk as well, because of the importance of Twitter as a service. With no board in place, who will keep Elon accountable and how? Elon made it clear in public that a large part of the reason he bought the platform was because of our moderation policies and disagreements in how we deal with health. This puts Twitter service and trust and safety, as well as anybody who cares about health on the platform, in a very difficult position. Twitter service, the role of our policies, and the capabilities we've built around content moderation are fundamental to keeping Twitter safe and growing. I believe that there is a lot of work we have to do to continue making that better. Sometimes that means more thoughtful moderation. Sometimes that means making things simpler. Sometimes that means changing product incentives to be able to solve problems through products sometimes instead of policies. During the last All Hands, you said that you trust Elon Musk. The correct quote was, we trust him. So who is we and talking to Elon, what made you trust him? And based on the conversation I had with him uh, when we were excited to have him join our board, that was because as a major shareholder and an opinionated user, we wanted that voice in our boardroom so that we could learn. Is there an updated understanding on what free speech means? The question behind the question here, which is where might Twitter's product go as a private company in the future once this deal closes. To best gain perspective on this, as I said earlier, we'll find ways to bring Elon for a Q&A with all of you to understand better what his vision for the future of Twitter might look like. Did you just hear that last question? She asked, what does freedom of speech... Like, wh- let me go back, because I think that's you know, probably the single most important uh, part of that entire video while I, you know, rub some, there we go. Got a little bit of substance on my, uh, on my desk here. All right. So now that that's taken care of the the part of that video to me, that was the most concerning was the very last question there. And, And obviously she started that by saying that the, her new boss has questionable ethics, which is probably, could you imagine being like joining a company and, and immediately making a statement to every single individual within the entire company that the new owner of your company has questionable ethics? Like not even just saying he's bad at business, not saying that, you know, he's a liar, just that he's his moral character entirely is at question here by this chief marketing officer. Okay. Now, the, the more pressing issue here, I think, was that last question, which was, let's go ahead and run it. She says, is there an updated understanding on what free speech means? What? Do you realize free speech is a very, okay, free means unhindered, 
you know, uncapped, uh, free, free. You don't know what the word free means, lady. You're the you're the an executive on Twitter, and you don't know what free and speech means. Freedom of speech. Is there an updated understanding on what free speech means? Maybe what the law goes by is free speech, and everything else is a, is a hindrance and is an, an opinion and and can you know literally be changed at the whim of whosoever is in power is there an updated understanding no it's the same understanding that we had when our country was established in 1776 and the constitution was written the same understanding of the freedom of speech the same idea of free speech back then applies today which means don't tell people what they can say unless they're violently threatening somebody and have the intention of following through, or if they yell fire in a crowded movie theater, as people like to point out. Okay, that's about it. You know, and maybe even doxing. Let's throw that one in there, even though it's not a specific law. It has to do with harassment, so it's in there somewhere. We've talked about that before. But freedom of speech means unhindered speech that is... Exactly what Elon Musk said, which means that if, if we're going to put these policies in place, they should. if there is anything that is done to hinder freedom of speech, it should piss off the most radical 10% of the left equally as much as it pisses off the most radical 10% of the right. And if you do that, that is equal opportunity in an equal way for this platform to thrive and still hold the idea of freedom of speech because then it's not an opinion it's not opinion-based, but when you see people like Milo Yiannopoulos, whatever his name is, Alex Jones, Donald Trump, literally point me to a, a, a liberal who's been kicked off of the platform for speaking out on liberal talking points. Point me to him. You can't, right? So for you to ask, what is the updated understanding of free speech is just the most ridiculous, disgusting, exact reason that Elon Musk bought the platform to begin with is because you can't even define the freedom of speech, you idiot. Anyways, all the more reason to be happy about this. All the more reason to be excited. Now, we are going to see. All right, Robbie, that, what's on your radar? Um, the government. Sorry about that. Um, the government, the White House, is looking to see what they can do, as we'll see on what's on your radar, Bobby or Robbie or pretty sure it's Robbie. I don't know. Whatever this guy's name is. But we're about to see it. The White House is now considering ways that they can step in for Twitter and start silencing your speech anyways on these platforms and see if they can implement totalitarianism from their end since the way that they've been doing it from the back end through Twitter and lobbying and quid pro quos and uh, you know, Saudi Arabian government uh, it, uh, ties and all of these crazy things. Now they're looking at rip, uh, basically putting uh, new laws into place so that they can do it from the government standpoint, which is going to be much more difficult to accomplish because there's a constitution between them and accomplishing this goal. And there wasn't that with Twitter. Maybe when there should have been. So let's go ahead and see what Robbie is on has on his radar today <laughs> all right robbie what's on your radar 
Well, yesterday in my radar, I explained why so many members of the mainstream media are losing their minds over Elon Musk's acquisition of Twitter. They're afraid that if Musk makes the platform's rules more favorable for free speech, their power to control the conversation and brand all dissenting views as disinformation and harassment, that power will come to an end. So it should come as no surprise that the Biden administration is expressing similar, albeit more cautious, concerns about Musk's Twitter takeover as well. Here was White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki reacting the other day. Just a quick one on the, the breaking news, Twitter agreeing to let Elon Musk uh, purchase, make this, go through this purchase. Uh, do you have a response to that? And does the White House have any concern that this new agreement might have President Trump back on the platform? Well, I'm not going to comment on a specific transaction. Uh, what I can tell you as a general matter, no matter who owns or runs uh, Twitter, uh, the president has long been concerned about the power of large social media platforms, uh, what they ha the power they have over our everyday lives, has long argued that tech platforms must be held accountable for the harms they cause. Uh, he has been a strong supporter of fundamental reforms to achieve that goal, including reforms to Section 230. And so that wasn't the only time Saki mentioned Section 230 either. Here she is responding to a question, which I believe is from our dear friend Philip Wegman. And we would support taking, uh, including reforming Section 230, enacting antitrust reforms, requiring more transparency. And the president is encouraged by the bipartisan uh, support for or engagement in, in those efforts. So why the sudden interest in reforming Section 230 now that Elon Musk is set to take control of Twitter? Now, in fairness, the interest is actually not sudden. Biden has long held that Section 230 should be eliminated. He previously said, quote, Section 230 should be revoked immediately, should be revoked, number one, for Zuckerberg and for other platforms. So confusingly, Democrats have managed to bring many Republicans on board with this idea of changing or getting rid of Section 230. No less an authority than former President Donald Trump has railed against 230. At a Georgia rally a year ago, he said that we have to get rid of Section 230 or we won't have a country anymore. And in fact, Republicans who support getting rid of Section 230, well, they're getting played by Biden, Saki, etc. Because without Section 230, social media would become even more hostile to conservative speech. And many viewers are probably asking right now, okay, what even is Section 230? So allow me to explain. Section 230 is a federal statute that protects internet platforms from some speech-related liability. For instance, if I say something defamatory in this video, I can be sued just like anyone else, but YouTube cannot be sued because Section 230 treats me rather than YouTube as the speaker. So the reasons for having this law are, I think, fairly obvious. If YouTube, Twitter, or Facebook were legally responsible for all speech on the platform, well, then they would have to moderate way, way more aggressively. Maybe only people with blue check marks would get to post at will. Maybe you'd have to fill out an application and prove that you wouldn't post content that could get the platform in trouble, something like that. Section 230 creates the legal regime that permits the internet to exist as it does right now, without gatekeepers reviewing posts or videos before they appear on the platforms. Now, of course, I disagree with many of the individual content moderation decisions that the platforms make. People are not wrong to complain that the moderation has been too heavy. So that's interesting. It seems like a, he's kind of pointing out that it's almost like a double-edged sword here, is if you do... So, so I guess, as he just explained, it, Section 230 basically says that Facebook cannot be held liable if you say some stupid shit on their platform and, and get in trouble for it, right? It's not like you are writing it... Uh, <clears throat> 
I don't know. What's a good example of that? It's it's not like it's not like they're going to ever be held liable for a situation where you did something wrong. They're a, they're a, just a platform for you to do your work on. It's like if you wrote uh, you know, uh uh hit list on Google Docs. Like Google's not going to be sued for that hit list. <laughs> like it seems like a pretty ridiculous idea. Um, but when, when you start to break it down, there is some valid points to this where, where it says basically the idea is that, um, they're trying, they're going to hold Twitter liable, hold Elon Musk liable if they allow certain voices to be raised and, and to say certain things that they deem inflammatory, maybe that don't violate the law, but they deem inflammatory. So then that would cause a chain reaction from the social media companies where they would have to come in and begin heavily moderation for fear of backlash from the government or legal ramifications for things that their users are saying, in which case they would have mass uh, incentive to begin mass bannings to begin silencing of people like he said almost make people verify who they are and this whole deal which is which is interesting because that is something that elon musk has said he wants to do with twitter which is cause all people to have to verify their identity to get a blue check mark or to even be on the platform he's hinting towards it seems like so which which a lot of people have problems with you know the idea is that it's supposed to be eliminating these saudi arabian you know swarm bots and it's supposed to be eliminating all of these uh, trolls that are out there under the bridge, uh, you know, talking about Q-spiracies. <laughs> and uh, it's supposed to eliminate all of that. And um, so that's something that Elon Musk has come out with, which is basically having to identify yourself on the Internet with some sort of like driver's license which you don't even need to vote now, you know, but, but you needed to sign up for Twitter. So there's a, there's a problem with that for some people where the heat, you know, there's becoming a more uh, loss or, or more use um, tracking of, of identity and the things that you are in specifically saying um, and outcomes for those things, if it's maybe not something they like. So that, that's one problem that comes up with that. So we'll, we'll watch another minute or so of this clip and then we'll move on because I, I think this, this Section 230 conversation is an interesting one, though, because it, it is, you know, if that's their next move, right, if they see Elon buying Twitter for $44 billion, especially with the elections coming up, um, you know, may, maybe they're, they're starting to scramble. So they, they move their rook to, you know, <laughs> to be five <laughs> so they're they're trying to figure out what what plays do we have as a response to this because this is not good for for this is not something we expected <laughs> this is the idea right because if, if if all of the information that's on the surface level of this imagine what is actually going on behind the scenes because elon isn't just frivolously doing this for some overarching uh bold idea <clears throat> of freedom right there, there's probably even if that is the reason he, in his intellect, is going to break that down to a, a far more complex reasoning underneath that as to why. It's not just going to be for freedom of speech, right? Because, because he must have a, a very deeper perspective on the ramifications of that not being the way that things are. Um, that I would be interested to hear, not just the, the you know, general tweet that... Uh, you know, it's, it's for the greater good of humanity. Well, if it is, I would love to hear his... A, a longer form conversation as to why, you know, um, 
because if that is the case, you know, great, good on you. I, I really appreciate it, and, and I think that if if nothing else is like you know, and the, there's the uh, something we'll get into next is the you know hero or villain conversation. Um, but but even if he is you know somebody that question and, and there's questionable ties and family histories and some things like that, uh, this still points the needle back in our direction, right? In the direction of freedom of speech and the, 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 the direction away from liberal extremism and, and ideologies uh, about stifling free, free speech and platforms. Um, it, it is still for the greater good, no matter what his intentions are, which could be, you know, uh, scraping the intellectual data of billions and billions and billions of human thoughts that are all uh, in a singular place at one time for the last 10 plus years to then download into a chip that he is able to create AI with and then put into your brain that takes over the world. Even if it's just for that, <laughs> it's still, it's still good for now, right? It's still good in the, in the, in the short term that we get to actually uh, have a platform that's freedom of speech based, <laughs> even if the outcome is destruction and death, which it, it always is anyways. So yeah, I know I, I digress. So, Section 230, let's watch another minute or two of this and then we'll move on. Handed. We have countless examples of that. But getting rid of Section 230 wouldn't fix that problem. In fact, it would make it much, much worse because there would have to be much more approving of what posts are appearing. Now, political figures like Biden and like Saki, I think they realize that, which is why they do want to see the law abolished. Without Section 230, companies like Facebook and Twitter, they'd have to carefully screen content. They'd purge problematic posts, which of course means purging more of the kind of posts that they already purged too aggressively, which is exactly what the Biden administration wants. They want more purging of, of content that they don't agree that relates to COVID and you know other things of that nature. There's no doubt they want it even more desperately now that Elon Musk is taking over Twitter and will possibly have a, have a different regime and allow more, more free speech kind of content. So there'd be no better way to throttle this new Twitter that Musk is creating than to subject it to endless frivolous lawsuits that are currently kept at bay by Section 230. As Steve Del Bianco of NetChoice, a tech trade association, put it, the biggest threat to Elon Musk's vision of a less moderate Twitter is Section 230 reform, which is why it's not, I'm not surprised at all to hear Jen Psaki mentioning it repeatedly the other day. All right. So I get the, I think we get the gist of that. To me, it, it's it's just something it's a it's a card that they're trying to wave that they have. Right. I think they're trying to, uh, you know, um, show that they're not being one upped by a single man, which they are. <laughs> At least that's the, the mainstream question here. Right. So. Beyond that, let's let's dive a little bit further into this Elon Musk conversation because it's it's a really interesting uh, discussion. Once you get a little bit deeper into it and you start to dive into some of the the concerns of people, like the thing that I just mentioned there, right, which is the idea that um, you know e Elon Musk. So he had a, a few tweets here um, about the, uh, the the purchase and about the competition that he is currently seeing between his platform and Truth Social. So he points out here that Truth Social, which he says in parentheses is a terrible name. <laughs> so again, Elon Musk says that Truth Social, parentheses, is a terrible name, exists because Twitter censored free speech. And that is the reason alone, according to Elon Musk. <clears throat> so, uh, you know, and then he goes on to show in a tweet before that, that Truth Social is beating Twitter in downloads and is the most 
uh, highest ranked app on the App Store right now for free apps. Now, it, it, it's funny to me that Elon Musk is, is still not saying it in a negative way. You know, Truth Social really is a, a, a great name. <laughs> I saw another person comment on there uh, something about how re-truthing, which is like a thing that you can do. And I am on Truth Social as of like yesterday or today. Um, so Red Pill Revolt on Truth Social, if you're on there, at Red Pill Revolt, go give me a follow. I'll be posting all my stuff on there. Excited about that. I will probably have a Twitter too and just link the two. But, uh, but I, I do think there's a use case for both. And um, so, yeah, Elon Musk speaking out, saying how Twitter is being beat out by Truth Social right now, which according to Elon Musk is a terrible name, <laughs> and which he said should have been changed to uh, Trumpet instead, which would have been an awesome name. <laughs> I think uh, Trumpet instead of Truth Social was definitely the move. But, they, you know, unfortunately, Donald Trump wasn't able to consult Elon Musk's uh, marketing team on this one. Uh, but definitely a great name, Trumpet. So maybe he should change it to it just to, you know, jump on the, the craziness train here. That'd be hilarious if we woke up tomorrow and it was called Trumpet. <laughs> but anyways, so there is a weirdness to this. And then I guess the weirdness to me is the fact that Truth Social... And Elon Musk purchasing Twitter, so Truth Social opening up to the general public, and Elon Musk purchasing Twitter basically essentially happened on the same exact day. What are the odds of that? Two of the the two singular biggest uh, opportunities or shifts within the social media uh, history in the last decade or two, right? Like what has happened in the last? two decades that are in the last decade that, that has been a bigger shift than truth social coming out with the president of the United States coming out with his own social media app that it was, is huge. There's millions of people on it right now and a bunch more joining it as we speak, as it's the number one app on the app store. What are the odds that that opening up and a billionaire iron man like figure within our society purchasing Twitter on the same exact day? What are the odds of that? <laughs> and so there's a whole idea <clears throat> surrounding this. And, and some I'm sure we'll see better, better and better thoughts come out surrounding this process and, and why these things are happening. But what I got for you right now is that it's uh, uh, some people are saying it's an effort. So, so Trump basically came out and said that he was not going to have a Twitter account. He said, I'm sticking with truth. Which is weird because he's not actually even using it. And if you know how much Trump loved Twitter, it's kind of weird that he's not jumping on the opportunity here. Uh, so the idea is that there's there's something going on here and that this is all of, I mean, it just seems like a big play, right? It seems like these things, the, the, the coincidence is too ridiculous. It makes no sense to me that both of the two biggest things to happen in the social media world literally happen on the same day. No chance at all, right? Like, because this should have been horrible for Truth Social, right? Which is almost maybe speaks to the idea that it's not like the people are probably more fed up with this shit than they are willing to go crawling back to Twitter because Daddy Elon bought it. They're they're more like fuck you. I'm going to this one because it's even more like they they believe in Truth Social in Trump than more than they do in Elon Musk at this point, and I think that's shows where we're at as a society and how divisive we've gotten to, to where it's like, you know, we don't want your life raft. We want an entirely different country to take 
the boat from. <laughs> like we, we don't even want anything to do with you guys anymore. We're gonna go over here. We're gonna we're gonna go to where we don't have to deal with you know uh, to have to deal with the opportunity of somebody having even the access to do so because it, Truth Social is an open platform. All of the coding is is available. Um, you can look through it so you can see anytime there's changes. It's open source. So if they change anything, and you can see in the algorithms that they're starting to shadow ban people, you can see these changes. So the idea is that that prevents them from doing things that would make you fucking hate them, right? Seems fairly straightforward. Um, so the the Truth Social app is open source. Twitter, as it speaks right now, is not. Elon Musk says he wants to take it there. How many of these things will he be able to implement? It'll be it'll be interesting to see, but he is taking it private so he can do a lot of these things without having to worry about board members or shareholders. In the F or the FEC, Federal Exchange Commission, FEC, FCC, I don't know, whichever one, came out and said that they were not going to step in because some, you know, some organization called Crew came out and spoke and, and asked the the FEC um, to basically block Elon Musk from purchasing Twitter. And they said, what, bitch? <laughs> we're not doing that. That's not our job. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. Right? That has nothing to do with us. This is what the what this is financial outcomes. This is how this works. Right? So <clears throat> now the next interesting part of that is is that to me it's uh there, there, so there's a few little things that I've seen floating out there around conspiracies as to why this happens. A, a, a decent amount of people are saying that this is not for the betterment of humanity, that Elon Musk coming out and saying these things is, is a, all a show because he's a billionaire elite and his mom had ties to, you know, I don't know, some type of like Saudi Arabian deals. I don't know. I've, I've seen people speak up on his mom's ties to the, the deeper, darker, deep state. And then the fact that Elon Musk took billions in or, or millions in grants to start his companies from the government that he just so happened to get. And then there was things about Elon Musk saying that he believed in a uh, <clears throat> he believed in the idea of a universal basic income. And so there was a, a, an image that I had that basically pointed out all of the things that uh, pointed Elon Musk to kind of having similar belief systems as the World Economic Forum. And that's a scary thought, right? Like he, he, I have not seen any pointing to him in his association with the World Economic Forum. However, there is ideas that his mom was tied in with the, you know, the deep state or whatever. Uh, but I don't know. I, I'm an Elon Musk fanboy. I, I think he's, he's, you know, he's like, I, I think he might be sent back from the future. And the fact that Werner von Braun, the NASA, NASA, and I said NASA because he's a Nazi, a literal Nazi who was tried during Nuremberg trials, who was brought over to the United States under Operation Paperclip, wrote a fiction book about a man who took and colonized the or colonized Mars and his name was Elon Musk without the Musk. It was just Elon. <laughs> it would have been way crazier if it was Elon Musk, but he wrote Werner von Braun, the Nazi scientist that we brought over under operation paperclip wrote a fiction book, like during the fifties about a man who took the human race to colonize Mars and that's exactly what Elon Musk does. So there, there's just some weird, weird, put on your tinfoil hat things 
that are going on here that makes me question, you know, what, what is actually happening with the Elon Musk situation? And, and should we be questioning him more than we are currently, right? Should, should we be asking more questions about his history? And, and should we not just be wholeheartedly diving into the idea that he's the white knight coming in to save the day? Uh, I don't know. It's, it's very easy to just, you know, kind of fanboy about Elon Musk. He's, he's a very smart man. Obviously he's built many, many companies. He has very much more, very, very much, very much more. Is that very much more charisma? So much more charisma. He has a lot more charisma than any other billionaire that I've seen. And, uh, you know, going on Joe Rogan, his long conversations that he's had, you know, the whole smoking weed thing during the Joe Rogan podcast and then his stock tumbling and then going up better than, but like, how do you not be a fan of this man? <laughs> and, and when you, you get to this point in society where everything is questionable, right? Everything deserves a question first before you take it in wholeheartedly. It makes you want to still question him right and 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 sometimes i think you just you can't be too quick to eat your own right like because if this is like it's just it's hard to differentiate what is truth and what what is a setup and, and who's manipulating what and but but i think in this case you know like i said last time 44 billion dollars to purchase something is is a fair buy-in of my trust especially if you say if it's for the freedom of speech now where it gets squirrely is what i mentioned before is that he also so happens to run a program called Neuralink. And he also so happens to believe that that's going to lead to AI symbiosis with humankind. And if you wanted to do that and you wanted to build that AI, you would probably want the single largest data points of human consciousness than anywhere else in the world. And that might help you along a little bit. And you could do that by buying Twitter and buying every single data point. Now I'm sure you could actually, you know, get the data off of Twitter, at least majority of it without paying $44 billion, right? Like I'm sure some type of coding genius could like back it up into a hard drive and steal everything for less than that. <laughs> um, so maybe there's that because it's, it's more about having to steer the ship, I guess that makes a little bit more sense to me. Um, but you know, the idea is that he's taking it to scrape the data, to, to turn it into AI that is then going to turn us into the slaves of a bunch of, you know, circulating Dyson vacuums with knives. And we're just going to, you know, clean their floors instead of their them cleaning ours. <laughs> the idea is that eventually they're going to take over the world, right? And it's going to be Elon Musk's fault because he bought Twitter. Now, that seems pretty far-fetched, and, and, and I think that the explanation that I had earlier, which is the fact that he has a far, he, he, he has a 10-step a idea about where this goes from here if left uncorrected, and I think that he may be trying to correct those things before they happen, right? But time will tell. Is he the hero? Is he the villain? I don't know, but I do know that he admitted to uh, believing that socialism was a good way. He also admitted to wanting uh, universal basic income. Uh, he also said that he want, he believed that AI would eventually, you know, basically take over human, human lives and that we would basically uh, morph into a human AI symbiotic relationship with the world. This all, all this craziness too. So I don't know, but it seems to me 
like I'm still an Elon fanboy, so <laughs> I don't know what your opinion is, but feel free to let me know uh, at Red Pill Revolt on Instagram. Would love to hear from you. All right, so let's go ahead and check out the next thing here, which is going to be the last topic, and that is about Mayor Kaz. I don't know what that is, but this is off of Fox News, and it discusses um, somebody testifying that the Department of Homeland Security is creating a disinformation governance board. And that's what we were talking about before, um, where she actually, I guess that's the video that we watched, which is them discussing the idea that they're going to, uh, so I'll read this article to you. It says, um, Lauren Underwood cited reports on how minority communities are being targeted in misinformation campaigns and asked Mayor Kaz what DHS will do to address it. Mayor Kaz said disinformation, a disinformation governance board had recently been created and would be led by Undersecretary for Policy Rob Silvers, co-chair with Principal Deputy General Counsel Jennifer Gaskill. It says in quotes, the goal is to bring the resources of the Department of Homeland Security together to address this threat, adding that the department is focused on the spread of disinformation in minority communities. And Fox News has reached out to the DHS seeking more information on the disinformation governance board. Hours later, Political reported that Nina Jankowicz, who previously served as a disinformation fellow at the Wilson Center, will head the board as executive director. Hmm. Then it shows a tweet. Um, it says, cats out of the bag. Here's what I've been up to the past two months, and I've been quiet on here. Uh, Jankowitz tweeted, honored to be serving in the Biden administration at DHSGov and helping shape our counter disinformation efforts. They literally made a ministry of truth. They just did it. They came up with the Department of Homeland Security came out with a counter disinformation campaign or a, a counter disinformation uh it, it what in the world where where have we gotten a, a governance board of the truth the the ministry of truth is here folks a disinformation governance board under the the biden administration how is this like i read at the beginning of the pandemic the pandemic i read 1984 and maybe I'm the reason for all of this. <laughs> so how many times is I like if I would have never read that book, would these things not be happening? Because it seems like we're getting so close. Like, how is a governing body? Are you able to dictate and, and determine what is truthful and what is not truthful? What is fact and what is fiction? What is the right opinion to hold on a topic and what is disinformation? What is harmful? Right. What is what is harmful disinformation? Now, in, in that in line with the, uh, with the terrorism advisory bulletin that we discussed like th four or five episodes ago that they dropped, basically stating if you sow dissent within the government or, or make people have uh, difficulty agreeing with the government, if you're like somebody who speaks out against them, that they can label you a terrorist, which allows them to do all sorts of things under the Patriot Act, right? Disgusting. Disgusting. So... To me, I don't know where this is going. I want to see the best in this situation and just be happy with the fact that we have somewhere to go. We Not only one place, but two places, right? And, and I think we're seeing the uh, public choosing right now um, with the fact that Truth Social is number one on the App Store, uh, which direction, you know, w whether or not we wholeheartedly are buying into the idea of Twitter or not. Um, 
But time will tell. I guess we'll see what happens with the stock of Twitter. We'll see what changes actually are implemented because that's a question too, right? Is he actually going to follow through on these things? Um, but why would you spend $44 billion if you weren't going to? Hmm. Anyways, so thank you guys for listening. If you want to stick around with me here, head over to the Patreon, just patreon.com slash redpillrevolt, and we're going to discuss a couple things here. Um, which is going to be Joe Biden discussed in the quotes that the ruble has been reduced to rubble, uh, which was said that when it was at a dollar thirty-four, the sanctions were announced and then dropped down very low. And today, hmm, guess you'll have to stick around to see. Go ahead over Patreon.com/slash Red Pill Revolt. Go ahead and subscribe. Click that button right there. Follow me on Instagram. Follow me on Truth Social at Red Pill Revolt. Uh, go ahead and subscribe on YouTube. You'll see start to see a bunch of clips that are coming out. Uh, full video podcast is on Patreon.com slash Red Pill Revolt, including the bonus content, which is coming up next, which we are about to discuss. So thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a great day and welcome to the revolution. Thank you so much.